uh, the village as the pastor here, along with the great team of people that we have doing all that we have going on here. Uh, I, I do want to welcome you again, Rob and uh, Matt, did a tremendous job just welcoming you guys. I want to echo that, particularly if you are newer to our church, maybe you're new to the city even. Um, and I want to encourage you if you are feeling a little overwhelmed, um, I don't know, going to any new place I think can be a little scary, but particularly a church, uh, especially if you feel like you don't know someone. So the very fact that you're here sitting with people who might be strangers to you to hear about God, man, that's a tremendous thing in my eyes. So I'm glad you're here to do that. Uh, on that note, we uh, just to let you know, um, what, right after service, we have this thing, I think it's listed in the bulletins called a 10-minute intro, just to give a brief little blip of what the village is about, who we are, what's important to us, kind of why we exist. I want to encourage you, whether you're, this is your first time, you've been here for a little while and you want to stay for that, we do it pretty much just a couple of minutes right after service, right up front here. So please stay for that. would love to meet you and, and take another step towards finding out more about this community. Also, I think this is um, mentioned in the bulletins as well. We've got a very special thing next Sunday. We're going to be having a baptism service. If you've never been here for one of those, um, I mean, really, really fun as we get to visibly see uh, the transformed lives that God is moving in through our church. So that's going to be next Sunday, the 19th. Uh, just to let you know, obviously, to be here because you get to witness it. But if you are interested in being baptized, if you've never been baptized as as a believer of Jesus, what that means is Christ has saved you. You have experienced a newness of life in Jesus, and, and you want to express that uh, visibly to a church let us know. We would love to have you be part of that. It's still not too late. Um, probably Saturday night might be a little late, but we, we, can, we can see. But let, let us know. We'd love to talk to you about that uh, as we do those things. We, um, we're continuing this morning in this series. We're doing through the book of Philippians, and we're in chapter 2 right now. And we'll be looking at verses 5 through 11. Last week, we got back into it with the first part of the chapter and as I was thinking on the, the portion today, I've had the privilege recently to do some writing, and I was invited to write uh, as part of a, a book. A friend of mine, um, a great friend, is uh, writing about leadership, and he asked me to write a little bit about what collaborative leadership looks like. So what does leadership look like shared among different peoples, especially as he's uh, gotten to know our church a little bit, and just the, the very fact that with the diversity of people here, we want to raise an increasingly diverse group of leaders. So really working together, that this would never be come about one person. Um, God forbid. I mean, this is a sign that we've become a cult. If you ever see my face on like a bus, like downtown, not a good sign. I mean, let us know because we, we never want to become personality driven unless it's the personality of God. Amen. What that means is we want uh, a multiplication of leaders. So he asked me to write a little bit about that. And, and I fully agree with that. We fully affirm this kind of collaborative model of leadership but I also recognize some of the reason that we, we address those things is because in our larger culture, I do believe that there's a general societal distrust of leaders. I mean, not even just pastors. I mean, that, that's this whole other game. But there's like a general societal distrust of those in leadership, whether they're politicians, uh, whether they're CEOs of companies. We kind of had this idea that no one is truly kind in their leader. Like no one's really looking out for other people. The reason that they lead is because they're power hungry. And, and, you know, you hear things like, uh, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely things like that, that this idea that when people get power, it's just to lord it over others. So we respond then and talking about, well, what would leadership look like in a collaborative sense, working together? And, and again, we fully affirm that, but I think on that sense of what leadership looks like in our culture, well, 
Why do we have such a bad view of leaders? Perhaps it's we've gotten away from what Christ would have said a good leader uh, is produced from. So we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I'm going to read this for us. If you want to pick up a Bible, I think we have it up on the screen, but if you want to pick up a Bible, it's on page 841 as well. And this is the Apostle Paul writing, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me, let me pray as we ask God to lead us here. Lord, we confess that part of the call you've given us, as we heard last week, and, and is, is this call of humility to truly think of others before ourselves, to consider one another better. And we fully, readily, humbly admit that that is impossible in our flesh and we need Jesus. So we pray that you would speak to us today through your word, reminding us of Christ himself and the one we place our eyes upon as we live this life. And help us, Lord. Refine us, move in us, save us. Speak to us, heal us. Draw us closer to yourself, and in your name we pray. Amen. So um, scholars, people who study this stuff, they debate whether Paul wrote this poem himself or whether he took it from another source. But regardless of that, what we have is one of the oldest statements in the Christian faith about who Jesus is. Beautiful poem that we have here. And last week, we looked at verses 1 through 4, and if you remember, it's just like a powerful statement on humility. The humility that is to be found in those who would say, I follow Jesus, therefore your life is supposed to be looking humble and, and thinking about others more than yourself. So when we go into verse 5 here, again, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Um, it's, it's this idea, though, um, or when we look at verse 5 here, it's reminding us why we can and, and who we are to be when we're talking about humility, that it's in Christ Jesus, that to be identified with Jesus, to say that you follow him, to say that your life is now in Christ means you get all the good stuff. Of course, you know, your, your life is exalted. You're given freedom. You're given um, um, all these different things. But it also means you're identifying with the humility of Jesus. And, and not too many of us hold on to that one, right? Like, I'm following Jesus so I can be more humble. I'm following Jesus so I can consider other people better than myself. Not many of us think that way, but what it's saying that having your mind that now in Christ Jesus, this is who you are. So verse six, then it makes more sense when you look at verse six here, when it says though, who though he was in the form of God. Um, I think we could misread this uh, almost like despite him being God, he didn't consider equality with God thing to God. So, or, or, um, you know, even though he was God, he, I think perhaps better than uh, despite, maybe we can read this more appropriately as because he was in the form of God. Because he was God. And this is important because sometimes, and you see it here in verse 7, 
Sometimes people mistakenly have looked at things like verse 7 where Paul says Jesus emptied himself, right? It says here, describes he emptied himself. And, and what they say is that, okay, what he's saying is that at a certain point, Jesus, he, he, he was God, but he emptied himself. He became a human being fully. He wasn't God anymore. And then later on, maybe something happened. Maybe it was the transfiguration when he was glorified, or maybe it was his death on a cross, or maybe when he was raised from God. That's when he became God again. So, like, he, he, like, went back in different forms. Like, he became God here, though. Well, he was God, but then he became a human being. But then he, he gave himself to God. But, but then he became a God again. Um, and, and I don't think that's what we're seeing here because that's completely not what Paul's talking about when, when he's describing Jesus. The point of verse 6 is that Jesus was already equal as the Son of God with God. And you and, you and I... Some of you are really brilliant, but still all of our minds are rather finite and kind of small. It's difficult to wrap our minds around how this happened. But what, what we suggest then is that Jesus, he already existed even when he took on flesh to enter our world, as it describes in verse 7 there, as he was made in our likeness. Guys, all that's saying is that when God, as, as Jesus, when he came into form of servant, he wasn't disguising who he was. It's not like he was pulling on a Marvel or a DC and kind of uh, finding his alter ego. It's not like God was saying, okay, who can I find that will totally fool everyone? Because I want to enter this world, but I'm going to pretend to be someone that no one will ever, ever recognize. Maybe like I'll do it like the comic books and put on some glasses and suddenly no one will know who I am. Have you ever wondered why, how silly that is, right? Like Clark Kent puts on glasses. Oh, I don't know who you are. Oh, it's Superman. Oh, Clark. oh it's Clark Kent. It's kind of weird. Um, but that's not what God is doing here. That's not what Christ is doing. It's not a secret identity. It's not like an out of the out of left field kind of trying to hide who he is. But it's saying here precisely because he was in very nature God. It wasn't just the outward form of servant, but it was actually revealing who he was. So Jesus entering our world. His decision to become flesh, his decision to become fully human, his decision to be, take on the bodies that you and I have that can be torn and broken, to have the blood that you and I have that can be spilled and cut, this decision to be fully obedient to this path, even to the point of death, you know, even to the point of full obedience to the cross, that, that, you guys got to get this. That was not a decision to stop being divine. To become fully human in these ways was not a decision by Jesus to stop being divine. Rather, I would suggest it was a clear statement about what it meant to truly be divine. Taking on flesh, entering the world in human likeness was not saying he stopped being God. Rather, perhaps God was giving a different idea of what it truly meant to be divine. Because Jesus, he was demonstrating a whole new way of life in, in everything. But he was also showing us what it meant to have a whole new perspective towards how you led other people. How you led. That humility, that serving others, this was not in spite of who he was, but precisely because of who he was. You know, as we see in verses like Matthew twenty twenty eight. It says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. 
So they're saying there's intention there. It's not like Jesus, you know, he was born and and born as a baby, came to this earth, grew up a little bit and started to say, oh man, no one here is doing anything. No one's going to be fixing that barn. Okay, I better become a carpenter then. I better start serving. Or, you know, coming to a wedding. Oh man, no one's providing any drinks for this wedding. Okay, I guess I'll do it. I'll serve. It's not a default mode. It's not because everyone's lazy and selfish. That's okay. If no one's doing it, I'll model it for them. He came as a servant. This is who he was. And the point of verses six and seven then is that Jesus He didn't look to his stature of equality with God as something to take advantage of. He didn't look at this as a power trip. Rather, because of his stature and power, it meant that he truly now had the authority. He now had the power to be able to commit to the life that he wanted to live on mission. To become humanity's representative and to eventually die under the weight of the sin of mankind. And, and guys, that's what it means here when it's saying that to be equal with God, to choose to give himself in humble sacrifice when he had every reason and ability not to. Because real power, real authority is not saying I have no choice. It's saying, actually, I have every choice to not be like this, yet submitting and willingly choosing to be humble. Willingly choosing to serve. And guys, that's why therefore at the beginning of verse 9 is, is really important. Leading into this exalted description of Jesus. Therefore, and, and now he's raised up. And now he's lifted up after all that. Um, Jesus' humility and suffering, even up to death, was never anything forced upon him. Um, you know, you, you, you hear some people talking about the cross you hear some people talk about Jesus, and again, I think there's some validity here, but often people will take it as a very political thing. And, you know, especially people who like revolutions and people who like uh, revolutionaries throughout history, they're going to say, you know, think about all the revolutionaries you know. The ultimate revolutionary was Jesus because he was just like them. He was poor, and he raised up a group of revolutionaries, this ragtag group, and they got so powerful that the authorities in place got really ticked off, and they killed them to kill the revolution, but they didn't know that they were actually feeding the revolution. And people who love revolution talk about this stuff, right? You know, like up with Christ down, you know, they, they love to talk. And I don't think that's totally invalid, but we don't, we have, we can't mistake what's going on here. Jesus is no underdog. Jesus is no like punk who was just trying to grade a little to and like take down the man. That's never who he was. He was firmly in control. This was always God. He knew exactly what he was doing. When the authorities in place started to get threatened, he's like, yeah, you should be threatened. This is God you're talking about. There was no surprise going on here. As Jesus himself, he says about his life in John chapter 10, verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. What are you saying here? This was no political gamesmanship. This was no mere, he was kind of just a political threat, so they decided to take him down. He, he gave himself. They thought they were in control. He was fully in control, but he submitted to the will of God. Because what we're looking at in this passage today in, in Philippians is that in his incarnation, in becoming man, In going to the cross, 
Jesus is doing what only someone with the power of God can truly do. That the eternal God, almighty God, full of strength, who will share his glory with no one else, has shared it with Jesus. The God who's jealous of his fame, the God who says there is no other gods before me, he shared his glory with his son, Christ. And this story of humility, this was not about God. Um, stop, you know, stop being God for a while. But it was actually the real revelation of the true God and King. It was actually the real uh, curtain opening of who God really was. That the honor described that's due Jesus in verses 9 through 11 here, it's not somehow disjointed from the verses before. It's not saying, yeah, you know what, he was really humble and he really, you know, took on flesh and he was emptied himself. And, but now, oh, and now he's glorious. It's therefore he's saying because of all that, because of the humbling, because of the uh, suffering, because of the servanthood, because of the emptying himself, therefore now he receives glory. It's, it's intimately tied together. These things are not separated from one another. Basically, Jesus is not a great king in spite of his humility. Jesus is a great king precisely because of his humility. You guys catch that? Jesus is not great even though he was humble. Jesus is great because he was humble. Because of how he led people through giving of himself, through serving. And it's a reordering of the whole world's view of power. It's a reordering of every civilization's view of power. Because the one thing that is cross-cultural, the one thing that's common to every people, creed, color, whatever, is how power is used. Because in every people on this, um, the, the history of this world, there has always been people who get into power and eventually abuse that power. And someone else comes into power and they say, oh, I'm going to be a different kind of leader. And then they get power. And then they abuse the power. And everyone's always mad. Every culture, every people. But Jesus, he's ushered in a new way of what power would look like. He's ushered in a new way of how you lead. And man, as I think about even our culture here in 2015 America, um, power is, I, I think it's just a fascinating concept. This idea of power and how we use power, what power looks like. And you hear language like the culture wars. And I don't know if uh, some of you, maybe like you're a soldier in the culture wars. I'm, I'm not stepping on the But like, there's like the culture wars where different people are just going at each other. Like, we are the ones who are grabbing onto the direction this country really needs to go. Like, we are the ones who are right. And everyone's right, of course, right? But everyone's got, I'm going to hold on to, we got to bring it back. Or we got to take it somewhere. Or we got to find them. But everyone's got this idea of, of what culture needs to be. And how we need to lead it. And becomes this almost very antagonistic. Very, like, uh, maybe we can call it a struggle for power. Like, we need power. If we're going to get our nation to where it needs to be, we need to be in control. We need to be ones dictating um, laws dictating family mores, dictating all these things. We need to be one setting things. We need to be in control. We need to be powerful. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not dismissing the need for good leadership. I think we, we need really good leadership. But I think of what it does show me, because um, Christians are not absent from those, some of those culture war kind of ideas, right? It, what it shows me that often Christians, sometimes we don't really seem to believe what we say that we believe about what's in the scriptures, about power. 
about control, about humility, about servanthood. That when it comes to issues of power and influence, um, at least to me, it seems like we're so often more like the values of this world than we are about the kingdom of Jesus. So let's just make it very real, okay? Um, there's, there's debate going on in our culture even right now, right? Things like um, the definition of marriage, for instance. And I, I want to I say, I think the role of a church that believes the scripture, you have to be very clear. So for marriage, for instance, I think if we look in the scriptures, it's very clear that marriage is designed by God between a man and a woman. I would say that sexuality is actually also supposed to be kept between a man and a woman in marriage. So a lot of people who say, yeah, yeah, marriage. When you say that part, they're like, whoa, don't be weird about it now. But God has this design for what it looks. And it's not just to try to keep people in control. We would say it's for the betterment of society in general. I I truly believe that. But here's the thing. I, I believe those kind of truths. I really do. And I will go down swinging with that. Some people say churches are going to close in another few years if you preach that kind of stuff. Guys, we got, let's get ready to start meeting at homes then. <laughs> no one's ever going to close down the church. They might close down the building. But, but here's where, I, where I'm going with this. Of course, we have to believe in truth. I think, it's, I think it's unbiblical to say, you know what? Being a Christian doesn't have anything to do with truth. It's just about loving Jesus and loving people. Yeah, but that also has to be tied to truth of what the gospel is. But... Here's where I'm going. And so some of you are like, amen with me up until now. You might start to give me some boost. We have to be people who, who pronounce truth, hold on to truth. But truth cannot just be a set of doctrinal claims. Because too often we said, we need to stand for truth. And what we mean is we need to stand for a set of doctrines. But somehow we've removed the idea of character as truth. That truth, yes, it might be certain doctrines, but truth is also who you become. Do you become like Jesus? Do you start to become this humble king? That though you have the right to everything, though you have the right to everyone to snivel and get on your face and say, but please, Lord, have mercy. Yet you humble yourself to the point of a cross. And you become the servant of those who should be serving you. You wash the nasty feet of your followers. I'm going to suggest as much as any law that you would see in scripture, any kind of doctrinal point, that is also truth. Who you become, your character, how you treat other people. And somehow we've divorced these ideas of kind of your personality and what you believe in and your passions and, and the stuff that you learn in your systematic theology books when I think it's all truth. It's all meant to be truth. Basically, guys, here's where I'm going with it. I, I really believe, especially where our, our culture is right now, Um, I I believe we have a cultural need for the followers of Jesus to demonstrate who Jesus is through our humility. I'm not saying let's not demonstrate who he is through the claims of truth that we make. I believe that's also valid, but I think along with that, we also need to be known as people. You know what? I I vehemently disagree with what that Christian has to say about that. But wow, they sure are humble about it. Wow. They're not like spinning at me and calling me this evil person and looking down on me and telling me how I'm like, uh, I'm like the worst person on earth. They're actually humble. They're not screaming at me. They're not trying to belittle me. They're not calling me less than human. They actually want to know. They actually care about me. I can tell they're like moved. 
There's compassion in this person. There's humility. And and can I dare say maybe that's who Jesus is. Someone who never wavered on truth. I mean, he he told like women like who were in adultery, stop. You know, but he showed them great love. But he also said, stop, go and sin no more. But he did it in humility and in compassion and tenderness. Because what I would suggest is that in the kingdom of Christ, power dynamics have changed. It doesn't mean that you are any less truthful, but it also means that maybe the positions of power change. Where in the world, top means power and everything flows down. In the kingdom of Christ, power starts to go to the bottom. And if you are in power, you submit yourselves and you humble yourselves. You empty yourself just like Christ would. And, and, and you put on a posture where you elevate others and you look for others' needs above your own. And not just trying to be right, but trying to also, as you speak about truth and what is right in your understanding of scriptures, also speak to the truth of who Jesus is. That he doesn't love anyone because we get stuff right. He loves us because of what he's done to be right. So I think, there's, I think there's a lot of room for us as we follow Jesus. Again, I'm, I hope you hear me right, because a lot of times sermons, you just hold on to that one point, like, this guy's just, I hope you're listening to the whole thing. I'm saying, church, we need to believe in what we feel is true from the scriptures, have a humble heart to say, God, correct us if we're wrong. But this is what we seem to be reading here. But as we hold on to those things, also saying, the Lord also teach me the truth of what it means to be, become someone who, who is like you. Who's humble, who's gracious, who's kind, who confuses people because they can't stand what we believe, but they say, I've never met a person like this. And, and it's, you know, you can talk about like politics and leaders, but if you take this to heart of who you are, you you have to bring it to the real life as well. (laughs) I, I don't like being humble. I don know if you guys have known that. If you've been around me enough, you probably know that. Yeah, yeah, amen. He doesn't like to be humble. I don't like to be humble because that means a lot of times you have to be wrong or you have to submit yourselves. Um, but I remember, and I think I shared a story um, a, a while back, but we had a, a, something happen in our church like a long time. It's like three churches from now. So that, that's a long time in church life. But I, I was um, on the pastoral staff of a church, and this was right around the time of 9-11. If you remember terrorist, terrorist attacks in 9-11, and just some bad stuff happened in our country, obviously, and everyone's on, like, edge, right? So in our church at the time, people started, like, we had a message board, if you guys remember what those things are, right, before the land of blogs, the message board. People start going on there and like all of these different thoughts, and it's all over the place, all the spectrum, because you can imagine in the church, just everyone has different views. And so me, being the brilliant pastor that I thought I was, just put out a you know, very innocuous message saying, hey, guys, let's calm down on putting stuff on there. Maybe for a season we can just kind of pray, and we're not going to comment on stuff. Um, what, what I've realized is people really don't like to tell you, don't like it when you tell them not to comment when they want to comment on something. So um, I got flamed back from this one person, like really bad. Like they at least it was private, right? But they sent me an email, they laid into me. She's like, who the heck are you? And they use a little bit more colorful language than that. Who are you to say anything what people can do? Who, what, what even makes a pastor in this church? Who defines that? And going on, right? laying into me, like calling me like the worst excuse for dirt that you can think of. Like what kind of spiritual authority can you have? 
And, and you guys who know me well, you know what happened next. I, I found their address. And I went and gave him a beatdown, like he's never experienced before. Like I had to exercise church discipline and say, you do not speak to your leader like that. Do you know how to submit? Obviously, you must not be a member here because members here learn how to submit to their leaders. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, man, is he joking or not? Because I'm like really scared right now. I didn't do that. I wanted to. I really wanted to because I still had some remnant back then of like some of the violent part of me. I was still there. Right? Christ had suppressed it, but it was still there and it raged right there. But I stopped. I prayed. I probably read passages like this that talked about who Jesus was and his humility. And all I remember God telling me was, dude, you need to humble yourself, especially as a leader in this church. And you need to go to this person. So I sent back an email, and I erased the original email I had to send. And I sent back saying, hey, man, I'm really sorry if I offended you. That was not my intent. We're all heated right now. I hope you can, I hope you can forgive me. I didn't want to send it. I really didn't. My pride, I was like, no, hold on to that. Keep it for later. But no, send. And he wrote back. And you can't judge much through email, but I think I could almost feel it through the email. He was just like, man. I am shocked that you wrote me back. I thought, because you're kind of a big, like, scary guy, I thought you were going to lay into me, and I was ready for it. But when you wrote me, I, I was humbled, and I had to repent, and I'm sorry I, I did that to you. And I would say that it wasn't like an overnight thing, but from that point, this guy who was kind of nominal in our church, he actually started to become a leader in our church. Things started to change for him. There was, like, there was like a demeanor change in who he was. He went from this angry, kind of like bitter, kind of not liking religion, to someone who became a servant heart. Say, how can I help? And especially to me. I mean, after that point, he was like, hey, what can I do to help? What and it reminds me, and that the reason that story is so strong in my memories is it reminds me of the power of gospel forgiveness, of gospel humility. Of what happens when God calls us, even though you might have every right to exalt yourself, that in Christ, because you know who you are, that you submit yourself and you humble yourself. And you don't necessarily fight for your rights right away, even if you might have every right to them. But you say, how can I consider someone better and humble myself? Why? Not because I'm a good person, because that's what Jesus did. And I'm in him. And, and, and folks, Village Church, I, I think that's why our mission statement is who we are. You know, our, our mission is that we want to transform our communities to become attending, connecting, and serving followers of Jesus. Transforming our communities, what that means is we look at every single one of you and we view you as a leader. Whether you view yourself as a leader or not, we view you as a leader to your prospective communities. Wherever you're from, whoever you run with, whatever you do, wherever you study, whoever you eat with, whatever community you represent, our church's mission is we believe God has placed you here so that we can invest in you for you to be a leader, to go and and inspire other people, to lead them, to help them to change. So it means leadership and influence. But guys, what we're reminded today is that leadership and influence is in and through Christ, and it means humility. 
and, and I just think we've lost this idea of humility in the church overall. Every book on leadership talks about how strong of a leader you can be. How much of a beast can you be? How many thousands of people can you get to lead you because you're not afraid of anything and you just go forth and you're strong and all that's fine. But I think we've lost the aspect of character that the Bible also calls us to truth of, are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you becoming like this Jesus who had every right to have people say, down on your face, worship me. But how does he do that? He says, I'll get on the ground for you. I'll wash your feet. I'll serve you. I'll die for you. I'll shed my blood for you. I will get beaten for you. I will be mocked for you. And he woos us to him. We want to raise you up as leaders here at this church. That's part of the reason why we have things like serving opportunities. Can I just say this? It's not because we are at like a dearth of people who know how to hand out a bulletin. It's not because we're like, oh man, there's only a few qualified people who know how to make coffee in this world. Gosh darn it. I hope we can find a few. It's not, it's really not that. Most of you are way overqualified to put a piece of paper in half and say, welcome to the village. But there's something about being part of a community where you're submitting yourself. You're humbling yourself. It's training. It's not just for the sake of getting stuff done, but it's training. It's saying, you know what, to be part of the music team here, maybe it means I come a little bit early on Sundays. Maybe I give up another evening of the night to worship together so that I can serve. And there's a humility. There's a dying to yourself. There's a statement being said, it's not all about me, but how can I be made less so that others may be exalted. That we learn to start serving here so that there's this growing revolution of humble service, that there are feet being washed all over this place, and that we go out into Baltimore and beyond, and we serve in the same way humbly. And I want to encourage you guys, if you're not currently serving in the church, um, I welcome you. Check the back info table. Find a way to serve. Again, not merely because we need more people to get stuff done, but I think that's how you get trained. I think that's how God cultivates a servant's heart within you. So I want to bring us home on this. Um, humility, it describes Jesus' character, but I think it also describes the nature of his mission. Um, Colossians 1.17, you don't have to turn there, but it says this. It says, and he is, describing Jesus, he is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. What, what that means is we're talking about the implications of Jesus' power. That we're saying that Jesus was the creator of all things. So he made everything in him. All things were created. But he's also the sustainer of all things. He didn't just kind of make it and say, okay, you guys do it. He sustains it. He sustains life. And, and think about the implications. What that means is that as Jesus was sitting before the Roman Empire. And and he was just being mocked. He's just being laughed at. He is just being tormented. He is being spit upon. What that means is Jesus, he didn't just create them. He's actually the one who like is forming the molecules to form that spit within their mouth. And that when they choose to f- and just hock it at his face, he's the one that's giving the power to actually allow that to happen. That they cannot even do those things without his power. And that when a soldier just gets that fist and roars back and boom. 
socks him upside the head. It's Jesus' power that's taking every little fire of that muscle and bringing the ligaments together to create a fist to be able to go in through the air and smash him upside the head. It's it's Jesus' sustaining power that even allows that. Basically, nothing happens without his authority. And he submits to that. And he gives himself. And Jesus, I don't know about you. I'm talking about myself. You can include yourself here. Jesus has every right to tell me to get out of the room. He has every God-earned right to tell me, how dare you sit here with a straight face and say my name? How many times have you just talked about me and then blatantly go mock me through your lifestyle right after? You're such a hypocrite. Phony. How many times have you pledged your allegiance to me? Said you're never going to do things like that again. Look at stuff like that again. Talk like that about people again. You said you're going to forgive people. Baloney. You big fake. Get out of here. Get out of my sight. You, you, you disgust me, man. Every right to do that. Every right to do that to me. It's not just the Roman soldiers, but it's, it's me. And maybe it's you. Yet in the wrath that you and I fully deserve, in the wrath that we fully deserve, instead of wrath, Christ remembers mercy. He has the authority to show judgment, but he also has the authority to show mercy and the power to show mercy. And that's how he transforms. I love that, that idea in scripture that it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And isn't that most of your stories? of how you came to know Jesus is not because someone bullied you into it. It's not because God got a, a spiritual bat and just kept hitting you over the head. Come on, come on, come on. Some of you maybe, right? You needed that. And that's also mercy. But for most of us, it was his tender kindness, wooing your heart, saying, as many times as you run away from me, I'm always going to be here for you. As many times as you doubt me, I'm still going to be here with open arms. As many times as you go and chase after all of the different idols of the world and seek your pleasure in them, I'm still going to be that dad waiting at the house with arms wide open, running to you when I see you. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And I would suggest that, guys, that's true expression of power. True power is giving you the freedom to chase after everything else, but trusting in your own spirit to say, I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to move their hearts. And, th- and that's the significance of the Lord's Supper that we're going to respond in in a minute here. And you guys know the story, right? Jesus, he had washed the nasty feet of his followers. And then he invited them. He took bread. He broke it and said, this is my body. He took the cup. He said, drink this. It's a sign of the forgiveness of sins through the shedding of my blood. And and think about it. You know this, right? You know the story. Who was he doing it with? He was doing it with his closest followers who he knew that very day were going to say, I never even knew the guy. And ran away like like a, a bunch of chickens. He was doing it with them. He was sharing his soul with them, his body, his blood with them, knowing that they were going to fail him, and yet putting into their memories the reminder of what kind of servant leader he is. That ultimately he's a leader who doesn't just call people to do stuff. He's a leader who gives of himself. 
And I want to welcome you to that today. If you're a Christian during this time when we sing and pray, come up, receive the communion. And remember, maybe you're having a hard time spiritually. Maybe your heart is hard. Maybe you don't even care about God and you don't even know what you're doing. Let his kindness lead you to repentance. Let the remembrance of what he's done for you draw you to him and submit yourself and humble yourself to say, Lord, forgive me for trusting in things other than you. If you're not a Christian, if you've always thought it's about being a good person, can I invite you to say today, it's not about being a good person because it is. No one would be able to sit here with a straight face. It's about saying, we're not good people, but Jesus is good. And the only good one was treated like the bad one so we could be made good ones. And I want to invite you to that. Let us know that you want to follow Jesus. You want to receive his love. You want to be forgiven of your sins. Get baptized next week, maybe. Confess that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, as we think about what humility and leadership looks like in your economy. That, Lord, as the world fights for power, as the world fights to be on top, as the world fights to be more right, more in control, Lord, perhaps you're teaching us that in your economy, leadership comes from humility. Leadership comes from humbling ourselves. Because you promise, just as you did with Christ, that you, appro- you oppose the proud, but you give grace to the humble. So help us to do that, Lord, and we have no choice to do that but to come to Christ because that's not in our hearts naturally. So draw us to Christ. Let us remember the gospel, the sweet gospel that though we didn't deserve it, Jesus just gave himself for us. And move our hearts, change our hearts that a revolution of humble service could start right here in a small room and move through the city, Lord. Serving others, even those who would want to have nothing to do with us because we love and serve you. So guys, let's stand together. And I want to invite you again, if you're a Christian, come receive communion, receive the Lord's Supper. Be reminded of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, how he humbly serves us. And, And let's pray, let's sing, let's ask him to do that work in our hearts as well.